What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. My first official job was bagging groceries at Food Lion in Tanglewood. It was certainly not my dream job by any stretch of the imagination. But while I was working at Food Lion for about a year and a half or two years, It sure did teach me a lot. I learned it was impossible for a 16-year-old to memorize what aisle every item was in that gigantic store. I learned that no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't please all the customers. I learned that the customer is not always right in spite of what management tries to teach us. I learned that, that, that if the store became not so busy in the late hours, they would just tell me they no longer needed me and I could go home. So I began to pray on my way to food line every day that we would be slow, so I would be sent home. And as a result, when I got paid, I saw the lack of money on the paycheck. I also learned that when I was out getting carts from the parking lot, that I shouldn't try to get too many at once because they might straggle away and might hit a car. And I also learned from one customer, I remember distinctively, she taught me this lesson. The government doesn't tell you everything. Today, I I, want to just very briefly share with you that what I was introduced that evening working at Food Line was the concept of conspiracy theories. She gave me a VHS video about, a, about the conspiracy of 9-11. And that would introduce me into a world that I never knew existed, that people would question everything and anything that the government did or does or will do. In fact, I began to realize that there's myths, that people believe that the Holocaust was a myth, There are these different ideas about JFK's assassination. I began to be introduced to, uh, did we even actually go to the moon when they said we went? I began to be introduced to the concept that, that, that Big Pharma runs the world. Here recently, we're introduced to this kind of idea that COVID-19 is being used as population control. The idea that the earth is not round, but the earth is flat. And that politicians are behind sex trafficking. Now, wherever you land on those issues, I really don't care. (laughs) But I want to say this, that there is a conspiracy theory that is true. And it's the concept of the new world order. In fact, the Bible reveals to us that that one day there's going to be a worldwide government. There's going to be a worldwide economic and political system and a one world religion that's going to dominate the known world of the day. But as we come to Revelation chapter 21, we see that that the world would view the new world order as a conspiracy theory, but we believe it is a biblical fact that's going to take place 
But as we come to chapter 21, we see that the Antichrist has already risen and he's already fallen. And now God is establishing his new world order. So today, the title of my sermon is these words, God's new world order. I learned quickly as a teenager and as a college student that it's better to not talk about conspiracy theories because everybody will look at you like you're a little loony. But I've already learned in my life that I believe in the Word of God, and some people in this world already look at me a little loony. So I don't want to try to give an excuse for them to look at me even more loony than they already might think I am. Today, I want to label the title of my sermon with these words, God's New World Order. Extra, extra, read all about it. God is going to establish a new heaven and a new earth that is going to be free from the curse of sin and the bondage of death, hell, and the grave. And today, I think that as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, we can celebrate the great fact that, that heaven is our eternal home. And so today, I, I want to just give you a takeaway thought that if you walk away with anything, here's a thought I want you to leave with today. My greatest expectation is knowing heaven is my eternal destination. My greatest expectation is knowing heaven is my eternal destination. My question I want to ask us today is this. What does God's new world order look like? Well, today I want to share with you five thoughts from these eight verses about what God's new world order looks like. But before we do, let us look at the very first phrase of verse 1 of chapter 21. In fact, I commend you for sticking it out so far. You've heard all the bad news about what's going to take place in the world, even after the millennium. But now as we get to chapter 21 and 22, we're introduced to the eternal state. And we're introduced to the concept that, that the good news is heaven is for those who know Christ as Savior. But look, the transitional phrase that occurs so many times in the word of God, as I've shared with you before, it says, and I saw, in fact, say those words with me, and I saw, say it again, and I saw, one more time, and I saw, John, if you will, just for a moment, John in chapter one of Revelation, he saw Jesus Christ the vision of Christ in a magnificent, marvelous way. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, John received a vision about seven different messages God wanted to give to seven different distinctive churches in the Asia Minor territory. Ephesus and, and Laodicea and Thyatira and the list goes on. And then in chapter 4 and 5, John literally sees God on his throne in heaven. And then chapter 6 through 19, John witnesses with his own eyes on the island of Patmos in 95 AD. He witnesses the seals being thundered out. He witnesses the, the trumpets being thundered. And he witnesses the bowls being unleashed to this world. And he witnessed from chapter 6 through 19, God judging a unrepentant, unbelieving Christ rejecting world. Chapter 20. There's some sort of good news that the false prophet and the beast is thrown in the lake of fire and Satan or the dragon, the arch enemy of God is, is thrown into what we call the abyss for a thousand years and for a thousand years Jesus rules and reigns and will rule and reign on this earth and he'll show us how a king is to operate on this world. But then after that a thousand years in God's own purposes and plans, we witness in chapter 20 that that Satan will be loosed one more time to 
for, uh, for ways that we don't fathom right now, uh, to deceive those who truly did not believe, even though they saw Jesus face to face, and they, he, he was literally their ruler and king. And then a final battle will be taking place. And then the world that we know of will be destroyed. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He speaks about the last days. And he speaks about what we call the last of the last of the last days. Where God will judge this world in such a way that he will burn it up with fire. Yes, I guess I do believe in global warming. Because one day this world is going to be burned up by God with fire. And then after that, the great white throne judgment as we looked at last week. That was the bad news last week. But the good news is, for those of you who have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, hell or the lake of fire is not your eternal resting place, but heaven will be your eternal resting place where God will be with us in communion and we will forsake the consequences of sinful rebellion and we will rest eternally in the sure promises of God and we will live joyfully never to be ever separated from God's love, mercy, and grace. So my friends, can we be thankful this week? Yes, we can be thankful that one day God is going to set the record straight and establish a new world and a new heaven. Look at verse number one. And I saw, remember, everything that's leading up to chapter 21, John has previously seen, and now he sees a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, in verses 1 through 2, the, the first thought I want to share with you about what God's new world order looks like is this. In the new world order, we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth created by God. In the new world order, we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth created by God. Here, we believe that God, just as he created the first earth that we are residing on right now, God is going to demolish this one and establish a new one. And then the Bible says, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There is a, a lifespan to this world. And I think that the secular world has, has cut a hold of that. That one day, all the fossil fuels will be burned up. But we know that they'll be burned up by God. They'll be used to its fullest and God will create a new one. The Bible says, that there's no more sea. So the land, the sea, and the heaven or the skies where the birds fly will be gone away. And then John sees a holy city. Remember, in, in the book of Revelation, there's really two cities that are highlighted. There's the city of Babylon, and there's the city of Jerusalem. We see that Babylon is kind of Satan's capital city, and we see Jerusalem is God's capital city. And so now John is witnessing a new heaven and new earth, and then he's seeing the holy city Jerusalem come down to, in a sense, hover down upon the new heaven and new earth. Now, there's a whole lot of details about the new Jerusalem that, that, to be quite frank with you, I don't think we'll ever solve in this side of eternity. But when we cross through the doorway of death and we stand in that moment, I believe God will set the record straight for us. But the Bible says that that as John is looking at this holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, he says it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. For those of you who are married, do you remember your wedding day? You remember getting all dolled up? 
for that special day so that you could present your best self before your favorite person in the world. That day you might have had the picture-perfect dress. That day you men might have had that picture-perfect tuxedo. But here we see that, that the Bible says that this city is, is coming down dressed like a woman is dressed on her wedding day. That is, she's not wearing, you know, her workout clothes. She's not going to wear her gardening clothes. She's going to wear her very best. And here the Bible says that this city is presenting the very best that eternity has. My friends, in the New World Order, we will enjoy the new heaven and the earth created by God. That just as God spoke the world into existence, he's able to speak a new one into existence as well. Will you look with me as we continue to think about the question, what does God's new world order look like? Well, verse number three reveals a second thought. In the new world order, we will live intimately and personally in communion with God. Think about that. In the new world order, we will live intimately and personally in communion with God. In verse one, the Bible says, and I saw. In verse two, the Bible says, and I, John, saw. So he's setting the record straight that, hey, I am John the apostle. I'm seeing it all happen. And then he says in verse number three, and I heard. So now he's seeing and he's hearing. But what does he hear? He says he hears a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Let's pause right here. Remember in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God, in a sense, his spirit, he was walking with men in the garden. And then man chose to rebel against God's word and took of that forbidden uh, tree and ate of that fruit. And then man, in a sense, be became fallen and, and they were in a sinful state and, and, and they were separated from God in Genesis chapter 3. And then the Bible says that, 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 that God would kind of dwell with men in what we call as a tabernacle underneath the leadership of Moses. They would journey. They were like nomads setting up this tent and, and they're worshiping God in the Holy of Holies right there. And then ultimately it would leave that primitive stage of the tents and they would build a big temple underneath Solomon's leadership. And there it was very elaborate and God would come and dwell inside that temple when they would go do their sacrifices. And then we read in the New Testament, in John's gospel, the Bible tells us that God came to tabernacle among us. God himself left his heavenly throne through the personage of God the Son, and he walked on this earth like we have walked. He ate like we have eaten. He, he slept like we have slept. He, he experienced life like we've experienced, but his was for a specific purpose. For 33 perfect, flawless years without sin, he went to the cross to die so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And he did that so that we could tabernacle with God into eternity that John is seeing right here. And so my friends, if you're trying to tabernacle with God any other way than through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will not enter heaven as your eternal home. The Bible says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. The Bible says that he will dwell with them. Jesus came for a season and he left and he gave us the Holy Spirit now to live inside of us. But here in verse number three, I believe it's reminding us that there will be a day in the next age, in the eternal age, where we will dwell with God in his full glory and splendor and majesty. 
and never to be harmed. Remember Moses on Mount Sinai? God had to hide back his full glory and only in a sense show him his goodness and his goodness Moses could barely stand. So imagine when we're seeing God arrayed in all of his attributes and glory. And as John wrote in 1 John, we will see him as he is. And I believe this is what John is seeing and reminding us. He goes on to say, and, and, and they, that is the people of God, will dwell with God and they will be his people. It says, God himself shall be with them and be their God. My friends, I know that this world is full of sorrow sometimes. It's full of pain. But be encouraged today that we will spend all eternity in communion intimately and personally with our amazing God and Savior, Jesus. My greatest expectation is knowing heaven is my eternal destination. In this new world order, we will enjoy the new heaven and new earth created by God. We will live intimately and personally in communion with God. But look at verse number four. In verse number four, I've got a third thought for you today about this new world order that God is going to establish. Thirdly, in the new world order, we will never experience the consequences of sinful rebellion against God. In the New World Order, we will never experience the consequences of sinful rebellion against God. You see, it's not until chapter 21 where the Bible says God will wipe away the tears. Now, I would like to believe right now, for those who are already into heaven right now with God, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the world. I would like to think that right now they are no longer weeping and crying in heaven. But I will say this, that we know that in the eternal state, after the new heaven and new earth is, is created and made, and then God, right here, he says he will wipe away all tears from their eyes. And in this moment, the old earth has done away, the old system of flesh and sin and rebellion, all of death and hell, and all the unregenerate unbelievers have been thrown into the lake of fire. And he says, now in this moment, we can put an end to all death. We can put an end to all of sorrow. We can put an end to all crying. We can put an end to all pain. Because the former things have passed away. Why do we have death? Why do we have sorrow? Why do we have crying or weeping? Why do we experience pain? All wonderful questions to be asked. The answer is simple. It goes back to Genesis. When man chose to rebel against God in the garden. And so because of that, Romans chapter 8, or excuse me, chapter 5 and verse 8 and verse 12 reveals to us that because of one man's sin, death, disease, pain, sorrow, all these things have passed on from generation to generation to generation. And so we will experience all these things right here in verse number four. But when we get to heaven, when we're in this moment that is John is speaking of about God, that will all be gone. And that should make us thankful this week. That one day we're going to exit out of this world. We're going to say hashtag goodbye to the sinful rebellion of this world. 
And also it reminds me that in this moment, I will no longer struggle with sinful thoughts. I will no longer struggle with sinful words. I will no longer struggle with sinful actions and deeds. And there I'll get to live in perfect communion with God as he originally intended it for it to be in the garden. And so will you. But now may I share with you from verses 5 and 6 a fourth thought today. But remember, my greatest expectation is knowing heaven is my eternal destination. In this new world order that God is going to establish, we will enjoy the new heaven and new earth created by God. We will live intimately and personally in communion with God. We will never experience the consequences of sinful rebellion against God. But now fourthly today, from verses 5 and 6, in the new world order, we will rest eternally in the sure promises of God. We will rest eternally in the sure promises of God. Look at verse 5. John is seeing all these things take place. He's hearing this voice out of heaven. But now, he is hearing the one sitting upon the throne, which I have no reason to believe this is not God speaking. It makes the most sense to believe this is God speaking because he is the one sitting upon his throne in glory. But listen to this. This is, behold, I make all things new. You know what that phrase reminded me of? It reminded me of what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. He said, for he that has, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. As I think about this, we see that yes, God is going to make everything that we ever thought to be new, but he's already made you new from the inside by coming in and regenerating you and saving you and giving you the Holy Spirit to reside. And then it says this, it says, the one sitting on his throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And then he says these words, Write. So he commands John to write these words down. But he says, For these words are true and faithful. The word of God is the truest, most faithful, most trustworthy document our world has ever seen. I know that you might not have been to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., but if you go there, they will lay out the history record of, of how languages began and then how God took language and he began to inspire the first penmans to write down God's word. And in that moment, it was inerrant inspired. And then throughout the centuries, God would raise up men, scribes to preserve those texts. And then God would raise up translators to translate those passages and the Old and New Testaments. And now all the way up till now, we have it in our English language today. And, and throughout it all, there is no document within textual criticism that even compares to the book that you're holding in your hand right there. And this book, it is true. This book, it is faithful. Forty different men were used by God to write down the words from Genesis to Revelation. 
on three separate continents over the span of 1,600 or 1,500 years. And we see the messages fit like a glove together, and there are no times where it disagrees in what it teaches. And so today, as we come here to this passage, we see that God on his throne, it says, John, the words I'm speaking to you, they are true and they are faithful. And I say that we can take that and we can run with it to say that God has revealed to us his word from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and his words are true. His words are faithful and they are trustworthy. And that is why we can rest assured eternally in the promises of God that if God said this in his word about heaven, then we can take it to the bank. But then verse 6, it says that he begins to speak again. He says, it is done. Now, I find it interesting that throughout Scripture, we see the phrase, it is done or it is finished three different times. We see in John chapter 19 on the cross, it is mentioned, it is finished. And in that moment, the atonement for our sins was paid in full. In that moment... The atonement of Christ became sufficient for all, but only efficient for those who believe. And so now the call for salvation is extended to every man, woman, boy, and girl. And for for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Revelation chapter 16, verse 17, we see it is done mentioned again. But this is at the battle of Armageddon, where judgment is irrevocable. And then we mention it. Or see it a third time right here. Where he says, it is done. Here it's at the dawn of eternity. At the sun rising of eternity, a new world order is established. God's new world order. Man's ideas and philosophies are done away with. Man's sinful rebellion is gone. In fact, here it says, God says, I am Alpha. That's another reason why I believe God is speaking here. Because it says, I am Alpha and Omega. It says the beginning and the ending. It's interesting. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So we see that God is the source of all the beginning. And he's the source of all the ending. In other words, God is the one who has the authority to to bring everything into existence. And he's also the one who has the authority to end anything in existence. And that's what's being revealed here. And it says, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Have you drank from the wells of salvation? Have you drank from that well that Jesus spoke of in the gospel of John? That if you drink from the water of the word of God, you will no longer thirst again? In the new world order, we will rest eternally in the sure promises of God. We will never experience the consequences of sinful rebellion against God. We will live intimately and personally in communion with God, and we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth created by God. But I want to share with you fifthly and finally from verses 7 and 8, probably the most important aspect of our text today. In the new world order, we will live joyfully, never to be separated from God. We will live joyfully, never to be separated from God. Thanksgiving is a time where we gather together with our families and we eat that stuffing. We eat that cranberry salad. We eat that big old dry turkey. (laughs) Sorry, it's always dry. (laughs) Unless it's sliced up in a package at Walmart. 
We eat our pumpkin pie or your sweet potato pie or your apple pie or whatever else pie, and we have a good time with family. But sometimes when we leave and part ways, it's the hardest part. Because we know we may not see that person till the next holiday. Or we might be thankful we won't see that person till next year. <laughs> but I say all that to say this, that when we gather together with family, we know that a time of separation is going to take place. But when we get to heaven, there will be no parting there, as a songwriter said. We will be joined together in communion with God and with each other. It will be a reunion that will last for all eternity. Look, it says, it says, he that overcomes, this literally means as every other time it's mentioned in the book of Revelation, it means the one who has victory. We are victors only through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross 2,000 years ago. And it says, to him that overcomes will inherit. Pastor Dave was talking about inheritance the other Sunday. And today, my friend, we have something far greater than millions of dollars of inheritance. We have eternal life with communion with God. And then it goes on to say, it says that I will be his God and he shall be my son. In other words, when we get to that place, we will be God's sons and daughters to always be united. But then verse number eight, it's a wonder why this verse is even in this section. But I think this verse is in here to remind us that all those who don't know Christ who abide in their sin without confessing it and repenting it and asking God for forgiveness, no matter if they're a liar, no matter if they're a sorcerer, no matter if they're an idolater, no matter what sin they've committed, they will spend eternity separated from God. So that should spawn us. As we think about heaven, last week we, we heard about the bad news of the lake of fire and hell and judgment. And this week we're hearing about the good news of heaven in Christ. And so the good news should spawn us. It should literally provoke us to go out into the world and tell as many people as possible about Jesus. I know I've shared this story with some of you before, but as a junior in Bible college in Knoxville, Tennessee, I read a biography that rocked my world. In fact, that is the greatest biography I've ever read because it moved me into a way that, that I was ready to just take a, take a, a little water gun and, and charge hell. <laughs> really, a little squirt gun, a little power soaker. But it was the story of Bruce Olson. If you've never read the book entitled Brusco, it is the number one Christian biography that I would recommend you read. It will radically change your life. It will give you a new perspective on the Great Commission. And it will inspire you to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. But Bruce, at the age of 16, is when he committed his life to Christ. And as soon as he became a Christian, he felt the tug of God in his heart to go to an unreached corner where people have never heard about Christ and tell them about Jesus. At age 19, without a mission board, without backing of any denomination, he buys a plane ticket to Venezuela. And shortly after his arrival, he, he learns of a special tribe of people who has been untouched with no positive contact for the rest of the world. They were known as being violent and considered Stone Age. 
And he had a burden to reach them with the good news of Jesus Christ. And his life was devoted to connecting this Stone Age tribe with the gospel. I shared this on a Wednesday before. That as he would go there, he learned their language somehow. He translates their word, God's word into their language so that they can understand it. And when he came to John chapter 14 where Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but me. In their language, they had no word for way or road. They were primitive. All they knew was trails and paths. So when he came to that passage in our own language, he said, Jesus is the trail to God the Father. There were times where he experienced great struggles. He almost died on numerous occasions. But by God's strength and grace and help, he used them in the most beautiful story to connect a people group with the good news of Jesus Christ. For 38 years, our church has majored in telling people about Jesus. But I want to ask us all this question. We believe that heaven exists, but who are we going to take with us when we go? My greatest expectation is knowing heaven is my eternal destination. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.